B1 Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by the Twitter Trust and Safety Council. (laughs) My fellow Twitter users... It is not acceptable that you might go out and say words that offend certain people. We all know that the Trust and Safety Council is here to look at your words and to see if it could possibly offend anyone. And you might ask, what will be offended by this? The key question is, does it offend someone here on the Twitter Trust and Safety Council? If it offends us, off to the cap for you. You'll go away. We will disappear with your account. And this has been a public safety, public service announcement from us at the Twitter Trust and Safety Council. Uh, this is my horrible German accent. I am Jim Garrity with uh, Mickey White. Uh, you'll have to pardon us. Usually we try to be light and fluffy and happy and walk through the world of pop culture. But as of this taping, um, I, am, I am spitting mad here, folks. And uh, uh, Mickey, let me tell you, you've never come across anything that offends you on Twitter, right? Ha! Uh, yes, but hi there, listeners, and welcome back for another week of what is bound to be a very interesting Jim and Mickey show, or TJM as we like to call it, because as Jim has mentioned, um, there has been something that has just been riling uh, the Twitter world for the last 12 hours, uh, maybe six, and people are losing their minds a little bit because our friend, Glenn Reynolds, known by many as Instapundent, He's a blogger. He's a uh, someone who tweets. He's also a libertarian. Um, and he wrote something kind of funny on Twitter last night. Certainly probably didn't actually mean the words. Maybe he did. Turns out it was enough. Enough for the Twitter Safety Council to suspend his account. Um, and just so you know what the tweet actually said, it was a comment about the rioters in Charlotte um, blocking a main highway and his entire response was, run them down. <laughs> and for some reason, that, of all things that are tweeted out in this world, got him suspended. Now, I have theories about them having groups that they, you know, contact support in, in order to isolate someone, um, I, I, like specifically the groups that are, you know, obviously anti that position of running them down, et cetera. Um, but it did certainly cause a stir. And Jim, I know that you are spitting fire. So while I normally would try to restrain Jim and make him do something like kind of upbeat and fun to start the show, Cut him loose. I figured if we didn't get this out of the way now, it was just going to hang over our heads. So Jim, let her rip. The chains are off. You can't stop me. You can only hope to contain me. Um, <laughs> look, so first of all, let, let's let's come out and say, you know, saying run them down is not a nice thing to say, right? Now, the this is talking about the, the riots taking place in Charlotte, really horrible event. Protesters had come onto the uh, interstate uh, the previous night. They had taken stuff off of trucks and started setting it on fire in the middle of this. People really felt terrified by, by angry mobs coming through the interstate. Now, is running people down really the best way to, uh, to, to deal with that situation? I don't know. I've never been in that situation. I hope to never be in that situation. 
I will observe, though, that if, God forbid, you attempt to do something threatening when I have my sons in the car, they will be picking pieces of you out of my front grill, okay? You know, when your kids are threatened, you know, that's all, all bets are off. But. The Jim and Mickey Show Safety Council is convening a meeting at this hour. Yeah, like, okay, like that's, that's, <laughs> don't start none, won't be none, son, okay? That's... <laughs> I have. Um, yeah, of course, someone's going to say, son, he used the word son. He's so condescending. <laughs> oh, I use son all the time. Yeah. So, um, but I am condescending, so there's that. It's not a nice thing for Glenn Reynolds to say, but does it warrant the Twitter equivalent of the death penalty or at the very least exile, right? That you, you are no longer allowed to use Twitter. We are suspending your account. You go sit in the corner, Glenn Reynolds, and you think about what you did. I have a theory way, about Reynolds, this. I think Glenn because Reynolds. we're going to lose the internet in eight days anyway, Glenn Reynolds is probably just having a last fling of freedom. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. It's because yeah. uh, we're giving up control to ICANN, the ironically named international trust that's going to manage the internet so we don't have to anymore. Oh, well, if you can't find the Jim and Mickey show anymore, people, right. I know the plan. <laughs> Maybe we should have a last fling. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure you know what happened to us. Yeah. Um, now, look, this is a very Twitter-focused podcast, right? Every Friday, you and I live tweet it, we listen to it, we put out funny pictures and gifts and talk about things that went well. We count all the times Dave says, oh, don't worry, I'll take that out. And then he really doesn't. <laughs> And leaves it in there so we sound silly. Dave is my own personal troll, yes. <laughs> um, hey, you and, guys uh, are the ones who say it. I just leave it in. <laughs> yeah. Gabe Malore gets tired of us tweeting out TJMs over and over again. Okay, fine. Gra- you know, but but I, I saw the news this morning, Mickey, and I really was upset by the sense of, like, if Glenn Reynolds could get suspended for saying something that somebody else found offensive, that could happen to me. That could happen to you. That could happen to Dave. That could happen to anybody. And... What good is Twitter then if you all of a sudden you can be, you know, erased and disappear uh, because somebody was offended by it? All right. I have a couple of things to add to this very quickly. I'm going to try to keep it tight for y'all because you know how I like to tangent. Um, this ties in very nicely as to the kind of theme of South Park this year has been fantastic as per usual. Uh, the show that aired this week was specifically about those people who are, quote unquote, quitting Twitter. And with everyone quitting Twitter, it's like they're dead. And so it's, you know, the children are running around the school and like they're crying. And then they have a Twitter quitting hotline. Like, I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to do it. (laughs) And he's like, I don't, you know, no, you know, whatever it'll be. You can talk about it in the morning. And 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 the counselor is sitting there and as as the child is saying, you know, I'm going to quit Twitter. I'm going to quit. I can't take it anymore, man. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to be done. And then they'll be sorry when I'm gone. And he's like, you know, your mom and dad don't want you to quit Twitter. You think about your friends. They don't want you to quit Twitter. And then as he's leaning down, the kid's still whining. He's like, just do it. Just do it. (laughs) And I think that. One of the interesting things about Twitter is that it is very much a medium that all other mediums look to because it's the one that gives us that real-time invention. And so they have a certain responsibility, and they take absolutely none of it seriously. Um, I would just like to mention um, the day before, I think it was the day before, that Glenn you know, sent out the, the oh-so-awful email, run them down. Which will go along nicely with all the hang em highs 
that I send out whenever I see someone do some type of crime that I find offensive, like whether it be to cats or children or whatever. No one thinks you're literally calling for a lynching. Correct. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a certain amount of understanding of the medium to make it work, people. Um, But I believe that the day of or the day before that that gun was suspended, um, I received no less than three actual death threats, as in I will come to your house and cut you, bitch, C-word, you know, (laughs) all of it. And I reported them to support, and I know you're going to be shocked by this, they're still out there, still sending me messages. So there's a certain amount of, you know, why was he targeted, and more importantly, like, who decides this for Twitter? Because certainly I don't want to sit and open up my mentions and see like 800 people saying they want to kill me first and then find out that someone who made in, you know, a joke, you may not like it. It doesn't matter. That's not what we're here to, you know, decide. It was clearly not something like that was that was in any way an actual threat. Yeah, there is no clarity about what the criteria is for they're, they're, the implied. The most common thing they say is, well, it's threats. OK. I would say it is very bad. You, you should not say – it's one thing to say I, you're wrong. Another thing to say I hate you. It's another thing even more to say I'm going to kill you. Don't run around Twitter saying you're going to kill people. That's, you know, that's not nice. No, it's not nice. And you would think that you wouldn't have to tell grown-ass people this. Well, But you that, have to tell grown-ass people everything because we are in a society that is so stunted in emotional growth and behavior mm. um, that I think – that's why I mean we look at this and you, you and I've talked about about this off the air. Where are the grown-ups? Who are the people in charge that are going like, oh no, we got this. The problem is there aren't any. Yeah, I, but you know, then the next thing is there's no clarity on the standards. There's no way to appeal it. There's no way to say. Now we should point out Glenn Reynolds' account was restored this morning. Um, I saw a comment from Eric Wemple, the Washington Post, saying that the the, the, the message from Twitter was if he took down that tweet. His account would be restored. I this this strikes me as an imperfect solution, but I'm glad Glenn Reynolds is back out. And I'm I mean, glad- this broke through real news. I saw on Yahoo News this morning as well. So this is something that's going to expand beyond Twitter. This is going to open up a conversation, and I'm telling you, it's going to open up a conversation that's going to lead to like who decides what speech is threatening. Well, again, as someone who receives these threats on a daily basis, they don't seem to take those seriously. Yeah. It really does, considering the... So reality- is it a number of people that report? Because, again, if you have a list of people and say, hey, look, this account just tweeted this out, grab this yeah. tweet and report it, and suddenly you have a 1,000 people reporting it... Bingo. Everybody call this guy threatening at once, we'll get him shut down, right? I mean, and, and you'd like to think Twitter would be on the ball enough to recognize the possibility that their banning or, or suspending mechanism would be abused. Well, and most but importantly, no, no transparency here, and the whole—that's why it makes it such a joke, and why it all, you know. I mean, uh, Glenn well- Reynolds is a national figure. He yeah. writes for USA Today. This yeah. is not someone. Um, so, what happens if it happens to little old me? Who's going to be there to, yeah, lift my account back up? Um, everybody's had at least one, and probably a lot of people have lots of accounts. So. You know, God help you if you're Jewish on Twitter, right? I mean, there there are more virulent anti-Semites out this year than ever before. And, you know, we're going to put you in the ovens, Holocaust, all that kind of crap. Nobody should be subjected to that kind of stuff. And it's out there. And I don't know it's whether Twitter is ignoring it and not banning these accounts 
or whether they, they banned the account so they just set up a new account the next day. Like, or I, I don't know they're what tacitly supporting it. No, I, how about how about this, guys? I, I, I go back to what I think happened probably with Glenn, which is that, you know, I can report some person for a specific tweet. Mm-hmm. That's one report, one account. If multiple accounts are reporting the same account and one specific tweet, it's much more effective. So beware of the uh, you know, Twitter mobs are now a genuine, <laughs> now almost quite as dangerous as, as the real mobs. So Oh, they've been uh, around forever. And the thing about it is I have dealt with them at length. You have dealt with them at length. You know, any time that you are in the public eye, which now means just like opening up a Twitter account, you find yourself much more are um, responsible and having to answer for your actions, whether they be professional or personal. And in the next segment, we're going to talk about something that has me very excited. Um, and it, I know that that makes me a bad person. And quite frankly, I just don't care. Flight leader to ideal fighter jet, clear for takeoff. Roger! Flight leader to ideal fighter jet, turn indicator on. Red warning light will tell you when you're off course. You're flying by radar, holder steady. Enemy plane coming in at two o'clock. Enemy out of machine gun range. Set your range finder, get set to use rockets. He's in my sight, rockets ready. Fire one, fire two, three, four. Flying in ideal's electronic fighter jet is like flying a real jet fighter. You work the throttle, indicators, radar scope, and warning light. You control six moving targets. Fire four rocket guns. Buy Ideal's fighter jet wherever good toys are sold. It's a wonderful toy. It's ideal. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. And as I mentioned, I may not be a good person, but I'm okay with that. Because sometimes karma just takes a little time. And this week we had, for those of us who have always been Team Jen, a little moment in time that we've been waiting for for literally 12 years. As you know now, as everyone knows, because unless you're living under a rock, it's been everywhere. Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, who are better known as Brangelina, have filed for divorce. To be more clear, Angelina filed for divorce. And not only did she file for divorce, she decided that she wanted sole physical custody of the children. Now, that is something that in Hollywood is a big no-no. Because the goal here is usually for everybody to make a joint statement. You remember when we talked about the conscious uncoupling? Oh, yeah, the Coldplay and uh, what's her name, Gwyneth? Yes, yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow. The friendliest parting I ever saw. You would think they were getting double married the way they, they yeah, were so friendly. Yeah, this isn't going to be like that. Yeah, this one's going to be like the opposite of that. This is not a conscious uncoupling. This is something that, honestly, you know, for those of us who enjoy pop culture and a little, like, twist off of, you know, reality in our own lives, this could be the story of the year. And the reason is, is apparently hell hath no fury like Angelina Jolie scorned. So when we are, you and I yesterday were talking about potential topics for the show. This was the dawn of post-Brangelina America. 
Um, you know how people talk about uh, antebellum, they kind of use it as a, a measuring stick of before and after if mm -hmm. looking at American history. No doubt we will look at pre and post Brangelina America. Um, <laughs> it really was a turning point in our culture. Um, so first shocking bit of news from, from discussing this yesterday. Actually, I'll, uh, Dave, pop quiz. How yep. old is Brad Pitt? Uh, 50. Good guess. 52. Okay. I did not think, I, you know, he doesn't come across as a guy who's uh, – uh, getting into his fifties, and the second thing he was attention to pop culture, Jim. So he knew the answer. I, I um, just knew how long I've been hearing his name annoyingly. <laughs> so here's Brad Pitt, and so let's you know the the rumor. The rumor is Brad Pitt is running around uh, with other women, other celebrity women, and uh, Angelina does not approve of this. Um, the irony, of course, was it was were he and Aniston married when they were when he hooked up with Angelina Jolie? Yes. Okay. Yes. They he, let me let's let's make this part very clear. He was married to Jennifer Aniston, and they were the perfect couple. And everything about them was adorable. Their pictures, their wedding, them hanging out at the beach, and then he started filming Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <sighs> And he and Angelina began a friendship, we'll say, slash romance during the filming of that. He came home, told her, told Jennifer on a Caribbean island vacation. There were paparazzi photos from the helicopters of him hugging. And, you know, they were going to try to do the conscious uncoupling. And, like, within days it was out that he was sleeping with Angelina Jolie. And suddenly, like, that went out the window. Um, I believe it was. And then within the year, they had their first child together. Yeah. So earlier this week, doing my Facebook Live over at National Review, when I said Mr. and Mrs. Smith is one of the most pro-marriage movies ever, um, <laughs> you're telling me there's an ironic subtext that I was completely <laughs> oblivious to. Yes. In fact, when you said that, I near died laughing because I was like, not exactly. I kind of think of it as the homewrecker movie. I mean, Generally the speaking. of the movie, right? The, the message of the movie that two people are given a choice between uh, near certain death if they stay together or going their separate ways and living. And they choose to stay together and take the risk, right? The idea that you find somebody and this is somebody you would really, you'd literally rather die than live without them. Right? I think it was a wonderful you know, statement about uh, what marriage can be at its best. It's just a shame that making that movie destroyed someone's marriage. Generally uh, speaking, well, when uh, when stars work with each other and they hug and kiss and get in bed together and all that stuff, there's always this risk that the chemistry will run away with them and they'll end up doing stuff they shouldn't do because they liked hugging and kissing each other too much. That's been the Hollywood story for, what, 75 years? Forever. Um, so, again, when you find out they fall in love with a co-star, that's not all that shocking. Mm -hmm. The big difference, of course, with the Brangelina brood is the fact that you also have six kids involved. Three of them are biological. Three of them are ones that Angelina collected across the world. <laughs> um, and then on top of this, they just did a movie together um, a year or so ago that came out with a total flop. And it was about a couple that was married and they were trying to save their marriage so you know full circle and all that um, becomes text yes right. uh, and, but one of the best parts of this whole thing was for me anyway upon reading it my very first reaction was they should have never gotten married they have been together since 2004 they have been married since 2012 so maybe you know the whole getting married part wasn't necessary. 
okay, let me make my observation. But I, I have a – we were having this discussion yesterday, and I offered a qualified – not quite a defense for Brad Pitt, but let me just – an observation about what it's like – what it must be like to be Brad Pitt. I know it will surprise listeners to know that I am not Brad Pitt, nor do I get mistaken for him all that often in public. Um, but every now and then. No. <laughs> so Brad Pitt is so handsome and so attractive that his name is now almost a metaphor for a handsome man, right? You know, oh, is that guy hot? Oh, my God, he's like Brad Pitt, right? That, that, he's like he's now the measuring stick mm-hmm. for male attractiveness. I can see that. I, any disagreement here so far? Nope. I'm. I agree with you. I just don't find him that hot. Okay. Um. I know that people do. He's not my type, but I. I agree that like he's like the Kleenex of hot guys. <laughs> Ubiquitous. <laughs> yes, exactly. The brand identifier. With this? <laughs> the Xerox uh, of hot guys. People will literally say to other people like, "Well, you're not Brad Pitt." Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. And, and so the. Uh, Shania Twain's song, right, where she says, uh, okay, so you're Brad Pitt, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, it's become now this measuring stick. Mm-hmm. So chances are Brad Pitt has had women throwing themselves at him his entire adult life. Mm-hmm. And he just, and he, unlikely, a broad agreement here? Agreed. All right, and not only that, he's so attractive, he probably gets women who would not otherwise throw themselves at him to throw themselves at him because he's Brad Pitt. Like yes. he's not just a really handsome man. He's a really famous and successful and uh, he's got a couple uh, award nominations and stuff, right? Well, and let's not forget access. He's working with some of the hottest women in Hollywood too. So I- I'm assuming that Brad, the, that the idea of, of monogamy and fidelity for Brad Pitt is really going to be kind of an alien concept if you're constantly having every woman you encounter throw themselves at you and making you know, making clear their availability to it. The, uh, am, I, am I crazy here? The reason Do for saying no is... you forget that Angelina Jolie is the same bitch who walked around with a vial of blood on her neck and kissed her brother live on television with mouth tongue? I mean, like, there are certain things that seem to get glossed over in the new age Angelina with, you know, all the children of the world things she's got going on. But that bitch is weird. And she's probably crazy. And, like, I'm going to tell you, when I heard the news break, I, I, like, immediately pictured her as Maleficent sitting up on top of the mountain and just shooting down, you know, lightning bolt <laughs> at all of this. And the more I hear, the more I believe that that's how this is probably going to go down because – the rumors that are circulating about the rumors are just as good. For instance, one of the rumors is that Brad was having an affair with the woman who he has a movie coming out with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's coming out this weekend and, you know, there's all this drama about it. The woman's pregnant. Double, triple now, drama. She's married and she claims it's her husband's. But isn't that just enough? Really? Mm-hmm. And then there's a picture. Coming soon to Maury Povich. Right? And then there's a picture of him macking on Selena Gomez, which, to be fair, is a little more broad type. While he does like to go for his co-stars, what he really likes is young chicks. But isn't Selena Gomez going into rehab or something? I mean, wasn't well, she? as well, here's the thing. Yeah, Selena Gomez just a few weeks ago canceled her tour because she said she was dealing with anxiety and depression due to her lupus. 
addiction and withdrawal is what she's dealing with. No, she's not. No, no, no. This is Selena. She's a little different um, than the other starlets. You don't expect her to be in rehab or things like that. (laughs) But again, she took off and and again for anxiety and depression and just about the time that this picture surfaced with her and Brad Pitt. So now I'm the one weaving the conspiracy theories because they're the best. Okay, so, by the way, how old is Selena Gomez? 22. 22. And he's 52. Yeah. Yeah, if that pans out, I think the reputation of Brad Pitt's going to take a really bad hit. I thought that after the whole mess that he pulled with Jen. I mean, the, keep in mind this this whole, you know, thing. And I mean, the, the New York Post put... Uh, or was it the Daily? I can't remember. One of them put Jennifer Aniston laughing out loud on their cover. <laughs> and with just the word Brangelina 2004 to 2016. Um, and that tells you something that people probably don't realize. But it was the initiation of teams, so to speak. Because you were either Team Jen or Team Angelina. I was Team Jen, obviously. I never changed that. That's something that becomes part of you. I put it on my social Facebook. Uh, I actually put it on my Facebook page, and it was absolutely hysterical how many people were right there with me like, yeah, I knew it, karma, blah, blah, blah. And I saw people talking about Jennifer Aniston and saying, you know, she's moved on with her life and she's happy and whatever. And then I see reports this morning that her actual first response to the press since asked was karma. Yeah, that'll do it. So, just kind of one closing thought on this, because I'm coming back to that Brad, Go- Brad, Brad Pitt, Selena Gomez rumor. Um, Mickey, we all would probably broadly agree that uh, this is, we are now in the you're old enough to be your father category. How many years difference do you need between a couple where you can say you're old enough to be your grandfather? Oh, you can't say that at all in Hollywood. 30 will do it, though. It I mean, certainly will. Mind, I mean, you have to keep in mind that Mick Jagger just had kids with some 20-some-year-old, um, and he's, like, in his 70s. So 50 years between you doesn't matter. It's all exponentially based on how much money you have and how big your bank account is. The larger the bank account, the older you're allowed to be. 30 years strikes me as uh, it's getting close to that category. But, you know, we're going to look at a completely different generational divide coming to reality TV near you right after this. Tell me, folks, step right up, shoot a duck, and win a jar of natural orange flavor tang. It's the new improved tang that tastes better than ever. Boy, I like instant tang, but I hate the idea of shooting a relative. Just shoot one little duck, duck, and get this big jar of Tang. Tang? Goodbye, Auntie. You missed, but you can't miss with Tang. And if you really want Tang at its best, make up a pitcher full and cool it off in the refrigerator overnight. Great for breakfast or any tasty old time. Mmm. Just cuddle in some of that Tang. Okay, Aunt Duck, hold still. Why, you miserable Tangster? Now wait, I was just kidding. March. Step right up, folks. Get to rubber and win a big jar of tang. See, it's a living free tang, gang. It's tangerific. Back to the Jim and Mickey Show. Yeah! Crank up the radio! Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. You know, apparently this year, the producers of Survivor felt a need to stir it up a little, to make a, a, a little bit of a change, make it a little more exciting. 
So they've decided to divide the teams by age. Yes, it's going to be Generation X against the Millennials. And please tell me, Mickey, that the previews for the show are already showing Team Millennial sitting around and whining that everything is too hard. Okay, first of all, uh, I have had the opportunity to see the first episode of this. They are calling it Survivor, um, Millennials versus Gen X, and the nickname is Culture Wars. Mm. And immediately I'm sucked in because there are no baby boomers. So you know how much I like that idea. Like none of them at all. Tell that generation that, okay, you're done. You're done now. You can't come. Uh, But the oldest Gen Xer is in his mid-50s. So, um, so, you know, and you start to think about like the amount of time that some of those people spent on Survivor and you watch them, you know, it's like, okay, well, the older people, a lot of times that was their play card. This is not this game. This game is different. It is so far, um, after just 90 minutes, my favorite season of Survivor ever. I laughed more during the first episode of that than I think I've laughed in a very, very long time because Survivor's usually kind of somewhat dramatic there's always action and adventure you know that kind of thing and you're there's tension and drama between the characters um or the people whatever you want to call them and when they told them from the very get-go that they were going to be separated out as by age the millennials versus gen x immediately the millennials are like man those guys are old we're going to win this. This is going to be so easy. And then the Gen Xers are looking at them like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. They're children. <laughs> and one of the children, in fact, is in high school still. He's 18, but he's a high school senior. And what's awesome is the millennials. The oldest millennial is 31. And he's looking at the 18 and 20 and 22-year-olds like, oh, my God. <laughs> and and they get back to camp and uh, I, I should say that probably one of the funniest lines of the night is they Jeff probes the host is sitting them up as he's giving them their buffs that's their colored little wraps that they wear and telling them all about this and he looks at the guy at Gen X and he's like what do you think separates these two generations more than anything else and he's like uh, we had to work for everything we didn't all just get a trophy <laughs> And for stereotypes. Yeah, it was. Well, but in reality, like it was so perfect because when they get back to their camps, they're supposed to be, you know, the first thing everybody wants to do is build shelter, get fire going like you have goals. Right. And it's they know a storm is coming in. So Gen X is just working, working, working. And of course, there's, you know, your minor arguments for the most part, focus and working flash over to the camp filled with millennials. <laughs> And there's one dude, the 31-year-old, sitting on a rock going, we're all going to die out here. (laughs) And he's like, these people basically won't do anything. And then pan to the rest of the group. They're all in the ocean playing. Naked. Not yet. But you know how they do the little confessionals. Well, normally the confessionals are, you know, okay, here's my deal. I think I trust this person. I'm not sure I trust that person. Like, I'm here to focus. I need to do whatever, you know, da-da-da-da. I've noticed this around camp, etc. It's a chance for them to get things off their chest. So we're used to seeing the players do this. They get to the millennials' opportunity. Each of them get their little confessionals. The first one they go to is a guy who could not stop talking about the two hot girls <laughs> in his camp, and he couldn't decide which one 
was the hottest. So he's just going to try both of them at the same time. Pretty much. The next two confessionals were from those girls. The next two confessionals were from those girls talking about how hot he was and how they thought they could chill and hang out and do stuff together. (laughs) And the thing about it is the best part, and you talk about stereotypes, is that Gen X people have normal jobs because that's what we do. And all of the millennials have jobs like, oh, I'm a sand therapist. (laughs) I'm a what? Yes, I I do sand therapy. (laughs) You know, I I talk to fish. Oh, hello, Aquaman. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) these are the kind of jobs that they have. So it's very interesting. And yes, there's a lot of stereotypes being represented, but I swear to you, God, it is some of the best television I've ever seen. And the best part is a cyclone hit them last night. <laughs> and so watching them. For the first time, they had to evacuate the island. Yes, they had to evacuate the island. But the night before the big one hit, you got to see them suffering. <laughs> and I had no idea how much I would enjoy watching a group of millennials suffer through a rainy, cold Here's night the thing, you guys. Island, I got to tell you, I am I am unexpectedly now newly emotionally attached to Gen Xers. I almost feel like they're getting into my "Hey, you kids, get off my lawn!" you know territory. It's, yes, it's, it's kind yeah, of a, it's kind of a big change for me. Well, look, it's worth noting. I mean, there was somebody did a nice, big, comprehensive generational study and found that Generation X, uh, which we should point out, goes from is it seventy to eighty, or does it start in the mid sixties? Oh no, no, it starts in the mid sixties and it goes to technically eighty four, which is really high. Okay, because I was going to say, I, I, my understanding was that eighty, eighty one, or so at that point they kind of was the cutoff line. But anyway. The vast majority of them were married, uh, gainfully employed, you know, large percentage had had kids, large percentage owned homes. That all the complaints about Generation X in the 1990s, that we were all this misanthropes who were very upset that uh, Kurt Cobain had died and we were listening <laughs> to our grunge music and wearing flannel and, who needs you, man? I didn't ask to be born, Dad. You know, um, <laughs> we've grown out of it. <laughs> A pretty good Nicolas Cage there. Pretty good Nick Cage. Life. Uh, he was on that. Oh my god! <laughs> I'll stop the world and with you. you know, life. Uh, life happens, and that most of Generation X had outgrown any, you know, <laughs> or ennui or or disgruntlement or you know. Um, and, and there's a good. And, and you say, okay, well, this is going to work for everybody. And for the millennials, as they age, it's not quite shaking out the same way. Now, some are going to say, oh, this is the economy or, or something like that. But I think a lot of people look at this and say, no, this is the participation trophy culture. It, um, it, this is being coddled. This is being constantly reassured that you're special and that the world will adapt to take care of you instead of you having to adapt to take care of the world. This is why it is already my favorite Survivor. And I'm a, I'm a loyal Survivor watcher. I've watched almost every single season. A few of them I didn't get around to. But the idea of watching these kids, and I do mean kids, even the ones that are 30, um, try to survive in the wilderness without things happening. Like, they didn't build their shelter because they thought at some point, like, somebody might just show up and help them if they weren't doing so good. <laughs> Did they so call they, mom and dad and ask they they, like, It was ridiculous. <laughs> and my thing is, like, my whole thing is I'm sitting here talking to Mr. Bias and we're watching it as I'm like, Please, God, tell me that they're allowed to take their Ritalin and HDAD meds with them. (laughs) 
And he's like, I don't know how that works. I'm like, oh, if they're not, it's going to be awesome. That's right. They're going to yeah, fall I would apart. You'd have to be medically cleared for it. And if you need medication, um, I think they might say, you know, but I don't know. We'll say then the law, then the discrimination lawsuits come along. Dude, here's the thing. It doesn't matter. Like every stereotype you think exists about millennials is not only like highlighted in this particular. And again, I've only watched 90 minutes and I'm already hooked. Because it's all about the socialization and the behavior. At some point, what neither of these tribes have even gotten to in their heads yet, there will be a merge. And these millennials are going to have to live and act and behave alongside of the Gen Xers. I have a prediction. We could have our first survivor murder. I have a prediction. I think Mm -hmm. the sensible Gen Xer men will still pick the two young hot girls from the other side. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. That's the that's the part that's going to see it's a socialization thing. It's going to be a situation where they come in like, well, you know, the guys are young and, and they're, they're probably pretty physical. Let's uh, let's keep the chicks. <laughs> let's keep the chicks around. You know, they're, they're not really a threat. Interesting. I, I, I'm curious. You're right, because at some point it might be a matter of other criteria comes along. <laughs> To be used as uh, whether somebody wants someone on their team. All I'm saying um, is Gen Xers are are more responsible, but they're not that much more responsible. <laughs> they're still human. That's right. Well, all right. So the next question is: is, is maybe the best odds are on the 31 year old millennial, um, assuming he survives and his teammates don't accidentally, you know, cause him to get you know a terrible infection and die. Um, <laughs> the, the idea that he will have an enormous advantage over all of his peers. I think that he's going to have the most advantage going into the merge as being able to talk both languages, mm-hmm. um, which is clearly a huge problem. Um, they they don't speak the same. Like I said, the merge is going to be epic because they don't even speak the same language. Um, however, I do have a favorite. He's on Gen X. Um, he's a trial attorney, and he doesn't appear to be a douchebag. So at this point, he's kind of my favorite. I don't have a favorite millennial because obviously, (laughs) why would I bother with that? My joy in watching them is going to see if any of them act better than I expect them to. So far, nothing. Um, One other highlight that I think our listeners will probably appreciate. There was one of the millennials got an eye infection. And all of Twitter was calling her Bob Costas of Survivor. <laughs> oh, Pinka. Because, <laughs> you know, people are mean. That's for him from the Summer Olympics, that was epic. <laughs> yeah. We have a, uh, uh, you know, here, here's the, the, at some point, will they bring in Team Baby Boomer? I hope not. We're too old already. We can't handle it. Yeah, I don't think that's the plan. But, you know, with Survivor, you never know. They have a very interesting new twist along with the um, the immunity idols uh, where you can, you know, pass it up, down, and it's not good until a certain day. And there's just uh, a lot of really interesting kind of twists and turns in this. But, again, for me, it's always about watching the people and how they react and how they adjust. And so, you know, for me, it, it's a social experiment on TV, which is, you know, kind of the whole point of reality TV. <laughs> you kids get off my, my only lawn. Last conclusion is that at some point, uh, Team Millennial ends up in real trouble. Generation Team Generation X does a little bit better. 
then, of course, uh, the surprise is the appearance of T Baby Boomer, which comes in and uses all the resources for themselves and leaves none for anybody else. You've got the toilet <laughs> paper. The last survivors <laughs> need to be ferried off the island by Team Greatest Generation coming in D-Day landing boats. I love <laughs> it. Off the island and saves them. It says, none of you kids know what you're doing. <laughs> Like the Love scene it. in the Battleship movie where they take the Battleship from the state park and all the 80-year-old guys go, what do you need, son? <laughs> Greatest generation until they're dead, and someday they'll be zombie generation to come along. <laughs> Much more competent than all the other younger zombies. <laughs> okay. Well, Rep signal coming the from the control segment, room. We're going to talk about some other people that are looking into lawsuits and things of that nature, and uh, hopefully we won't be on that list. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. That's Dave Perkins. We'll be right back. I can't believe we got to zombies again. Walt Disney's Sleeping Beauty. An unbelievable achievement in the art of animation. A timeless love story. With excitement, adventure, and awesome villains. Walt Disney's Sleeping Beauty. Rated G. He's the bold one. He's the one we want. There's a bold one in every family. Anywhere the bold one goes, he gets dirtier than anyone else. He's the bold one. He's the one we want. Bold can make the bold one bright. Bold can make even the bold one bright. Because bold has a power team that breaks up tough dirt and lifts it away. A power team so strong it makes things more than clean. So strong it makes things bright. Here's Cousin Harriet. Here's Cousin Gilbert. And, um, here you are. He's the bold one. He's the one we want. Bold for the bold one in your family. Bold can make the bold one bright. The chill of fall is in the air. The wind is starting to blow. The acorns are hitting the ground, along with all of those leaves that Jim's probably going to have to rake. But the most exciting time thing that comes along with this time of the year, of course, is football. We've had that. We're excited. We're moving forward. My Steelers are 2-0. and I'm just saying. And the fall TV lineup. And we look forward to this every year, almost like a little version of Christmas. Lots of different things happening. And as we've been talking about here on the Jim and Mickey show, one of the key things that's been coming up this fall because of the 20th anniversary of Jean Benet Ramsey's death is that there are actually, we started out, when we first started talking about it on this program, there were four different projects set up to cover the Jean Benet Ramsey death case. And now there are seven. So they're multiplying. <laughs> and the popularity of some of the true crime that's being done is being now put into a Lifetime movie. So um, while we talked about last time, we didn't think there was anything dramatized coming out. I was wrong. It's already been done. There's now a Lifetime movie coming out with a little girl who looks like Jean Benet. But the most um, important thing probably to note is that you know, while each of these seemingly is offering up information from the case files, from those who worked on the case, kind of trying to give the audience enough information that, you know, it's, it's an unsolved case. This is the most important thing that everyone needs to understand. This is an unsolved case. So everything that you're seeing is people 
just going off of what they have to work with. And there is no actual resolution at this point. Well, CBS ran a two-night special um, on the killing of John Benet Ramsey, which was started and ended with them pointing the finger at her brother, Burke Ramsey, who was nine years old at the time, who has been cleared um, by DNA evidence, by every other form of evidence possible. He even got a... You know, the, the family got a letter not just saying that they didn't have anything on them, but saying that they were innocent. They apologized to the family for the way that they were treated. This came from the attorney general of the state of Colorado. And CBS went forward with a show that would lead every single person in the audience to believe that that nine-year-old child murdered her sis- murdered his sister. And knowing what we know about the facts that they, you know, conveniently omitted, not only is that not possible, that means they're asking people to believe that this child sexually molested his sister, that he hit her over the head, that he garroted her um, with a makeshift garrot that he somehow learned how to make to twist her off and choke her throat out, that he did not use a taser but a, quote, train track or something kind of like a train track to explain away the marks on her body. And all of this, again, has already been proven and that he did not do it. CBS set up a two-night program that was set up nothing for ratings, nothing for nothing but ratings. And when I saw it, I was immediately responding both on social media and other places that I hoped that the Ramseys had their lawyers in play. Well, good news, they are now suing CBS. Um, and they've got all of their lawyers lined up for defamation of character, amongst other things, um, for just spreading bald-faced lies. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how CBS squirms its way out of this with all of the, well, you know, we had disclaimers on it. Nonsense. A lot to unpack there, Mickey. Um, my first question is, did Dan Rather come back to CBS? Yeah. Well, again, they wonder why people don't trust them. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a little disappointed to hear that they're making a docudrama about the, the John Benet Ramsey. Not that I don't want to prejudge it, but it's interesting. We just had a year in which the O.J. Simpson trial had the docudrama treatment by FX and the People versus O.J. Simpson got all kinds of Emmy wins uh, this past weekend or the weekend before. <clears throat> um, but I feel like we actually learned a lot more from the ESPN five night documentary series, uh, O.J. Made in America. And given a choice between a really uh, intense, factual um, look at a controversial event or watching actors reenact a controversial event. Um, I think you get more from the straight documentary. Um, maybe you can get more when it's more about a cultural event. I, I don't know, Mickey, you and I talked about the John Benet Ramsey case and all of the various, uh, how all of a sudden all these projects in, from Hollywood were coming out about it. Um, was there a broad social lesson from this or was it just kind of like I, I oh we- absolutely a couple okay. things here um one I want to once again recommend to our listeners go out if you're interested in this case um and watch the three-part series done on discovery ID it examines all of the different angles and theories and it kind of does what needs to be done at this point and leaves you with the facts to then move forward I would also say that A&E did a, a one-hour documentary that included more facts than what the CBS, whatever you want to call that thing, fan fiction was, 
over the two night period. The other thing is if you, you know, again, like you'd, you'd assume that people at CBS would recognize the legal risk. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I'd assume. I, if- I legitimately could not believe it. I, it was one of those moments where you're watching something happen and you're like, they can't do this. Like this, you know, this is gonna this is gonna be bad for them because, again, it's not like all of this isn't public record. Yeah. You just have to look it up. And if you, here's the thing, it, it's there's nothing wrong with including evidence pointing towards one person as long as you don't ignore the counter evidence and that's or the evidence would seem to contrary be contrary to that. And that's um, that's where you know look you know you said there's a defamation of character depends on like a civil suit. Um, yes. why I, I'm, you know, professional work keeps me, keeps me abreast of, uh, standards for libel and slander. You need, uh, uh, you know, reckless disregard and, um, uh, malicious intent here, which might be interesting. You know, discovery would probably reveal a great deal mm-hmm. about thinking of the CBS team's producers and things like that. But it's so, not as easy to be guilty of libel and slander as people think it is. No, well, that's been- true. And, but in this case, because they literally go around the table at the end, and say, are we comfortable with Burke Ramsey doing it? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they've got a case. <laughs> okay. Makes me wish yeah. I'd watched. Yeah, it was bad. Like, it was really, really, really <laughs> bad. And Dr. Henry Lee is someone that he's a forensic um, scientist who became famous through you know, OJ, some of the other more infamous trials. He was someone I used to respect, but somewhere along the line, he went completely over the deep end of Vuku, and he was on there. And again, just watching it all, like it was not a documentary. It wasn't even a mockumentary. It was, it was an indictment put together by someone who had decided what they believed long before they sat down at that table. Kind of troubling. Um, you know, Mickey, that's not really my taste in in television. Sometimes it just gets a little bit too dark, a little too grim. Um, so I decided to watch a comedy about a family with a disabled uh, son instead. Okay, so how did <laughs> that go for you? Speechless. It stars Minnie Driver, who was one of my all-time favorites, um, as the more than a little bit pushy mother uh, who is trying to demand the very best for her son in this as they move into a new community. Um, pretty darn funny. And I was going to say, Mickey, when's the last time you saw – remember Seinfeld came along and it was a show about nothing. And they had a rule, no hugs, no lessons at the end. You know, they were <laughs> – right. You know, which was very funny and groundbreaking at the time. And I feel like with a million and one imitators, uh, now if I try to watch Seinfeld, it's a little bit cold. What's the deal about hugging at the end? There you go. Thank you, uh, Dave. You know, the idea that there was something something that was brave and edgy in the early 90s uh, now, you know, became un- almost universally copied. And now the brave, edgy, groundbreaking thing to do in a comedy is to give your characters heart. Uh, and don't be afraid to make them a little bit sweet and make them loving and let them allow the hugging and all that kind of stuff. So uh, speechless with Minnie Driver, this, this, this you know, family that clearly has been through quite a few ordeals and moves a great deal trying to find a community that is perfect for their son who has a severe disability. Um, and it makes it a little bit of fun of political correctness. This is a- everyone, everyone in this new community is trying really hard to be – uh, to be nice, like the, the, the child in a wheelchair, or I guess more of a teenager in a wheelchair, comes in 
and everyone wants, gets, wants to make him feel welcome, so they give him a standing ovation. <laughs> it's like blackish. And, and then all of a sudden they realize, oh, wait we're, offend- wait, we're offending him by standing. Everybody get back down. Get back down. You know? <laughs> and this poor kid, he just wants to be treated normally. And it everybody- is my understanding the actor is, is actually um, handicapped. He actually has cerebral palsy. Is that correct? Um, I have not done my research on this show. I know that he has, I know that he has whatever disease he is portraying he has, he actually has in real life. So it is groundbreaking in many ways. And it's, and the best part is make it funny. Yeah, exactly. Ellen was funny until Ellen came out and like every other show was about her being gay and then it wasn't funny anymore. It was a life lesson. But she's still like the funniest woman on the planet. She just had bad writing. It's mostly, a, you know, like the humor comes from uh, the town trying to be nice and generally come across as awkward. And Minnie Driver being this mother who has the very best of intentions, uh, who loves her son and wants him to get the exact same education as everybody else and not to be, um, to, be to have to compromise in any way, shape or form and not to be treated as less. Is she likable in this? Because she, yes she's no. one of those ones that, like, she's like Andy McDowell for me. Like, sometimes she's not all that likable. I like her a lot. Um, and also, I'm glad that, she, that she's playing British. She's not trying to pretend to be an American accent or anything like that. Um, she is somebody who ends up alienating people with the very best of intentions. And that actually might work for her as a character. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, you know, the idea that this drives her to, to oftentimes antagonize people in an unnecessary way. Uh, and one of the persons who ends up becoming a friends of this this young handic- man who's handicapped is the school janitor who happens, you know, at one point he uses the word cripple in reference to the teenager. <laughs> and she explodes on him and says, that is hate speech and I want him prosecuted for a hate crime. And he says, I recognize the irony of prosecuting the only black man in town for a hate crime. <laughs> I mean, and he says, I only get uh, stopped twice before I get driven out of the parking lot by police. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, they end up becoming friends by the end of the episode. And there is this kind of this, like, warmth to it. So um, I found and enjoyed it. And so if you find, you know, the terrible murder of little children to be a bit much, you can always change the channel to ABC. Uh, maybe I have some brand loyalty to ABC after Max Headroom and Twin Peaks and all those other beloved shows they canceled. We'll be discussing brand loyalty right after this. When you're out to get the beer, don't fool around. Get the best name in the business. Oh, old Milwaukee beer. It tastes as great as its name. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And we come towards the end of our program, but we wouldn't necessarily uh, have a complete week if we hadn't included the Trivial Tuesday selections. Every week, Mickey goes on Twitter, and uh, if it doesn't get banned by the by the Trust and Safety Council, <laughs> uh, puts out a question to our listeners, and everybody tries to answer. And this week was, what brand loyalties do you have? Correct, Mickey? Yeah, I got thinking about this because I went into a restaurant, and they did not have Heinz ketchup. Oh. And so it became an issue of, okay, I either have to order something else, or we need to go somewhere else. Uh, let me tell you, Mickey. On behalf of the entire Carey family, thank you for your loyalty to Heinz Ketchup. You suck. You suck, Jim. 
And I'll tell you this right now. Okay, fine. I'll have my little moment. Here's my, excuse me, while I pull up my soapbox, you jump upon it. <laughs> Do you understand that the Hines family, as in Teresa Hines, married into a Republican family? John Hines was a Republican. Yes, he was. It I wasn't heard. until after he died that she ended up marrying that. I don't even know what to call him other than a gold taker. Lurch. Secretary of State, who's yeah. been because of the carry spot. So. Yeah, so leave my ketchup alone. Okay. Um, and having said that, like I, I do get that a lot, so I'm ready and obviously prepared to give that speech. But Heinz is one of those things that I like. I can't go with fancy ketchup. I can't go with hunts. I don't want to hear about anything that's new and trendy and hipster. It needs to be Heinz. So that's probably like one of my strongest brand loyalties. That along with State Farm insurance. What about the yellow you know, the mustard? Two things in life that, like, when you ask me, like, what are your two favorite brands? The first thing that pops to mind is Heinz, and the second is State Farm insurance because of how awesome they have been to me over the years. Well, I am a State Farm guy, but what about Heinz yellow mustard? What about that? Or is it just the ketchup? It's just the ketchup. Oh, like, okay. I, 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 I have had French's mustard in my ketchup. Or in my, you know, pack for years. Mm -hmm. But um, the nice thing is that Heinz does this beautiful thing for me over the summers where they put together the Heinz ketchup, the Heinz mustard, and the Heinz relish. And I just grab that and go. Well, there you go, Jim. We got her 50% committed to taking down Lurch. That's about the best we can do. Uh Uh, I'm always struck by the fact that one of a a common metaphor for people is, ah, you know, there's no difference. It's like Coke versus Pepsi. Look, I, I'm trying to drink less soda. It's not as healthy for me. But, you know, Coke. Coke is, you know, the, this what soda ought to be. Pepsi is swill. <laughs> and the pe- people who say they can't taste the difference all strike me as like, what? What is battery acid, man? <laughs> <laughs> so you're a Coke guy is what you're I telling me. Were there a lot of people who said they had Coke or Pepsi brand loyalty? Or? Um, there are, yes. People are either Coke or Pepsi unless, of course, you're me. Because I have no brand loyalty as long as it is caffeine-free and diet. So I was basically cola-flavored water. I was doing um, a live broadcast from a grocery store years ago, and a guy walked up to me on the air and said into my microphone, I just drank a quart of Wesson oil and a quart of another leading brand, and I couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> 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 I don't do brand comparison live anymore. I just can't. No oh, that's good. So tell no. me, do you have one that you're loyal to? Like you go in and this is what you have to have. Are you talking to me? Yeah. In in what oil or drinks? Because <laughs> I'm not general, brand loyal in oil, but uh, as far as drinks go, yeah. Loyal in anything. I am. I lean Coke over Pepsi because I think Pepsi's a follower and Coke's a leader. But I could be wrong. Coke may be big corporate evil by now. I could be wrong. It may just be uh, habit. I was fascinated by the number of people. Coke came up a lot. Uh, there were a lot of people who were very pro-Tide, the, the clothing oh. detergent. Um, they only use Tide, which is fascinating because I'm allergic to Tide. Um, the other thing that came up a lot was mayonnaise, and people had an opinion, whether it was Hellman's Mayo or Miracle Whip. Hmm. You were either one or the other. And uh, one of our listeners, Matt, it appears his name is actually Matt Lauer. I don't know how it's exactly pronounced. He says that he is brand loyal to, believe it or not, Old Spice. (laughs) (laughs) Michael J. White will be pleased to hear that. Yes. I guess I don't have an enormous variety in terms of deodorant or uh, uh, or, or 
you know, cologne or something. I'm a Dracar Noir man, by the way. Okay. If, if you want to smell the excitement of the Jim and Mickey show, that's, that's a, give you a little look of that. One of our listeners, Ken, gave me one in, gave us one in nearly every category. It was fantastic. He is Guinness, Oscar Mayer, Apple, and Charmin. <laughs> pretty good choice. I was going to say good. the whole sequence of events is covered there. <laughs> I, I thought so, too. I was like, that's fantastic. So, again, we thank you for your answers because – it's so much fun to interact with you and it's fun to take that time. We call it Trivial Tuesday because it's a chance for us to just talk about something that, you know, we can relax and have fun with. And, and we love your involvement with that. We love bringing it to you on the air with our discussions. And uh, we have had such a fantastic show that here we are at the end again. And I thank you so much for listening and staying with us. Um, I'm Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. You are listening to the one and only Jim and Mickey show. You can find us on soundcloud.com or look us up and become a fan on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. We'll be back next week. Flight 209 are clear for Vector 324. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our Vector, Victor? Our radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? Roger, over. What? Shut up! <laughs> 